to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, happy Thursday and welcome back to another episode of the Embody Podcast. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the show, I would really appreciate it if you slid over to iTunes, dropped a five-star rating or a written review and just let me know what you are loving about the show, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, any and all feedback is welcome. That feedback gets the show organically into more ears and more souls across the world. All right, guys. So in today's episode, because I have just wrapped up another semester of my PhD, I wanted to read another essay that I have written about the ways in which we handle trauma. I say handle because I'm using that metaphorically. So in this essay, I'm going to talk about the ways in which we grasp and opening up a different way of looking at our traumatic experience. I'm going to use the language of alchemy later in the essay. And so I I know that alchemy can sometimes be confusing for a lot of people. And so that makes sense to me because it operates from a metaphorical and a poetic basis of mind and we we have a hard time kind of thinking as alchemists or moving as alchemists because there is such an emphasis on the metaphor and so just really giving yourself permission as you listen to this podcast to pause in any space that feels like oh there's something there there's there's something that I'm like confused about here and you know obviously if you're driving and listening to this or doing something while you're listening to this um, and not taking any notes then this isn't for you but if anybody out there who is listening and is trying to learn about this alchemical or poetic basis of mind feel free to join my free community where you there's a section about the podcast where you can ask questions about anything in the podcast that just you're curious about that you want to hear more about and I can actually make episodes to clarify because if we get multiple questions about the similar concept then let's let's explore that together right and so this essay that I have written is called handling the language of trauma alchemically and so I start out by asking what happens to an individual who lives immersed in an abstracted world experienced as perpetual opposition in division So in order to quote-unquote keep it together, this individual has to adapt and navigate being itself in a seemingly fragmented way. So not only does this person feel division within themselves, for example, the mind versus body, but also division against neighbors and division from the divine mysteries of the soul. 
Ian McGilchrist lays this out at the end of The Master and His Emissary, the book he had written um, in 2010, stating that phenomenologically, if the left hemisphere were to become dominant enough to suppress the world of the right hemisphere, we would see tendencies towards abstractions. Increasingly, the living would be modeled on the mechanical. So what other strategy other than fragmentation and division within self would we possibly have to be an adequate response to the deep disconnections that we feel from the intuitive, the mysterious, and the spontaneous poetic movements of the soul? So given that the modern individual is faced with daily interactions with plastic hearts disconnected from hearted minds, I feel there is a need for a bridge. And this bridge would connect the narrow, fragmented, conceptual way of living towards an inclusion of the contextual and embodied way of living and also in that leaving plenty of space for all of the messy mysteries of being human along the way. And so the intention of the bridge is not to offer an escape into this paradisical state of oneness where all things are good and whole, but to offer a deeper connection to the poetic basis of mind, the inherent multiplicity of the soul. And a move towards multiplicity presents this redemptive act in regards to soul and engaging with the soul. So the poetic basis of mind is fundamental to the art of archetypal psychology, yet this is not a new predisposition towards the world. So for thousands of years across philosophies, religions, and psychology, there have been attempts to amplify this engagement with the poetic basis of mind. And so etymologically, poesis is is derived from the ancient Greek term meaning to make. And philosopher Whitehead states that poesis was conceived as bringing something from concealment into full light and radiation of a created work. Poesis is not to be grasped in its features as practical, but rather in its being an unveiling, a making known which produces or leads things into presence. So here, Whitehead's emphasis on the inability to grasp the poetic nature of psyche is fundamentally important to this essay topic. So McGilchrist points out that there is a left hemispheric connection between language and grasp, so language sitting in the left hemisphere. He says that both sharpen the focus of the world. Mental grasp, like physical grasp, requires precision and fixity, which language provokes, making the world available for manipulation and possession. Hillman proposes that archetypal psychology starts neither in the physiology of the brain, the structure of language, the organization of society, nor the analysis of behavior, but in the process of imagination. He continues on to say that it is of fundamental importance to recognize that imagination is not merely a human function, but is an activity of the soul in which the human imagination bears witness to. And so this is where I see the emergence of a beautiful bridge leading away from the either-or 
dualisms of grasping or not grasping something into learning how to metaphorically handle something. A careful handling of what is spontaneously emerging from psyche that can ultimately redirect a person back towards the multiplicity and the movement of the soul or to the poetic basis of mind. So to amplify this metaphorical handling of the poetic basis of mind, my focus is going to be on an area to which I have noticed a human tendency to grasp at deeper understanding most profoundly. And so this is during and following experiences of trauma. So in an experience of trauma, things get out of hand and the propensity for conceptual grasping is exacerbated so the more things get out of hand the more we try to grasp for understanding so it's my intention in this essay to reimagine the ways a trauma-informed practitioner anybody that's working with trauma can offer a helping hand not so that they can grasp but to aid in the way that an individual handles experiences that are so perceivably fragmenting and intolerable and so my intention in this essay is not to particularly offer practical solutions to trauma healing because this tends to hold an unconscious um, favoring of one-sided approaches that prioritize resolving trauma symptoms above all else and rather my intention is to follow the symptoms follow the spontaneous movement of psyche and that leaves more space to save the phenomena of the imaginal psyche it's really being with what is So it's through this development and cultivation of an archetypal mode of imagining that uses the metaphorical lens of alchemy in this case that I see there's a possibility to reconnect with the inherent mythopoetic basis of mind that I talked about above. So I want to talk a little bit about trauma, the mind, and the body. So Moving through this inherently traumatic human experience, it is quite unlikely that a person will not encounter various forms of trauma along the way. It is of critical importance to orient to various perspectives of trauma. So we must, again, see through these tendencies to view trauma solely through a mental perspective So a top-down or a somatic perspective, so bottom-up. So we need to see both sides. And by seeing both sides, one may deepen into the layers that are underneath that are driving both sides of mind and body. So I see the layers beneath as as a mirror to that spontaneous movement of psyche. So again, quoting Peter Levine, founder of Somatic Experiencing, which I'm in practitioner training for. So Peter Levine is a pioneer in trauma-informed methodologies that help individuals navigate trauma from a physiological perspective. And he defines trauma as any event which the organism is strained beyond its adaptational capacity to regulate states of arousal. The traumatized nervous system disorganizes, breaks down, and cannot rest itself. This manifests in a global fixation, in a fundamental loss of the rhythmic capacity to self-regulate arousal, to orient, and to be present and be in the flow of life. 
So here I want to emphasize the rhythmic capacity that Levine speaks of. So most modern approaches to trauma tend to focus solely on the resolution of the outer symptoms and then forget about this kind of rhythmic capacity of the nervous system. And this rhythmic movement, I think, is a beautiful metaphorical image for the processes that are happening not only neurobiologically, but also psychically. So neurobiologically, this rhythmic back and forth nature can be seen in McGilchrist's model of hemispheric lateralization. So he proposes that first, the reception of direct experience with the world comes in via the right hemisphere and then the information is passed over to the left hemisphere via the corpus callosum for processing for abstraction for analyzing and then ideally that information is then passed back over to the right hemisphere for reintegrating that new knowledge and insight back into the embodied world that you're moving through and so this movement from right to left to right to left is the rhythmic movement that is the ideal neurophysiological um, state and that goes on for infinity so hopefully but you know I see that mimicking the motion of that infinity symbol and so Levine Peter Levine he asserts that in the traumatized individual, there's a loss of that fundamental movement of the rhythmic capacity. And so he's talking about different um, fight or flight freeze symptoms. But in terms of McGilchrist model, I see experiences of trauma to be a fundamental disruptor in this rhythmic flow of back and forth. So if a traumatic experience is taken in via the left, the right hemisphere, it's then sent to the left hemisphere where it's going to split into abstractions and representations. And what this does is it helps a person manipulate and, and navigate a perceivably threatening and traumatic world. And so the right hemisphere, which is the home of the implicit, the embodied, the emotional reality, can help aid in the recon- recognition of where this traumatic experience sits in the totality and the necessity of the traumatic experience. And then also given that the right hemisphere's unique ability to create an empathic relationship between that which is self and that which is more than self the traumatic experience can be experienced within a wider context to the whole. And so if the psychic charge associated with a traumatic experience starts to overwhelm the physiology and it overwhelms the personality, then this movement that happens, the experience still comes in the right hemisphere. But I see that often it gets stunted and stopped over in the left hemisphere and what this does is it creates an excess of disorganization of the psychic material so if this happens then these abstractions and representations of traumatic experience get stuck in the left hemisphere and that stagnates and continues a fragmenting way of being in the world that leads you into having mere representations 
of the experience. The experience is no longer experienced in context of the whole, but it's just these broken up abstractions and fragments. And so I think that the longer the left hemisphere holds hostage this abstracted traumatic experience, the more control it starts to have over the dictates of our everyday experience. And if this is the case, then we can see with this disruption how the left hemisphere would usurp the right hemisphere and we could start being completely left-brained in the way we navigate trauma. And what when this happens, it reinforces the split between the mind, which is the abstract representations of reality, and the body, which is the implicit embodied experience of reality. And so the greater this split is, the more an individual loses connection with this mythopoetic matrix, which is driving the movement between both. And when we have this disconnection from that poetic basis of mind, there are so many clinical symptoms that start to manifest in order for the soul to show itself. So one of the primary symptoms that I see in my clients who are working through trauma is a deep attachment, a grasping to their trauma story as literal. This trauma story is then the language of the literal experience, a left hemispheric abstraction. So literal grasping of a story is when a person believes that what they're talking about with trauma literally happened to them. In which it may have, but there's a neglect of the deeper archetypal experiences that that are moving through that experience. And so not only is it a literalized story, there's now a disconnection to the images that have or have had influenced the experience. And this is where I see the dream world being extensively compensating for people who navigate experiences of trauma because one of the primary symptoms of trauma is of PTSD is nightmares, right? And so if we're living in this abstracted representation of what's happened to us without the connection to the images, the myths, the, the archetypal experiences, then that's going to show up at nighttime when your ego goes offline and it's going to flood the psyche with a nightmare. So the affect and the emotion and the body experience is going to come up and those images are going to come up during dream time. So Hillman said that the essential or least essential component, at least essential component of every mental set of every personality is language. So thus, language must be an essential component of my neurosis. If I am neurotic, I am neurotic in language. So consequently, the one-sidedness that characterizes all neurosis in general is also to be found specifically as a one-sidedness in language. So if we're prioritizing an abstracted way of moving through the world, then we're probably most likely treating our language in that same rational, literal, one-sided way. And so I see this offering an opportunity to the trauma-informed practitioner who's working with trauma to attempt to not over-prioritize the mind story, which is a left hemispheric approach, or the body story, a right hemispheric approach. And again, if 
if the poetic basis of mind is what we're driving at here, then it is an amplification of psyche and the images that are presented that need to be prioritized because these images serve as metaphors. They are the bridges that connect these fractured approaches to trauma that are often one-sided. And so I'm going to move in and speaking about developing this metaphorical imagistic way that we can language trauma. And so we're developing an alchemical eye for our language around trauma. So if one were to follow Jung's writing over the span of his life's work, they would notice a prominent shift in his writings in the beginning, he moved, he he was in this kind of like narrow confinement of empiricism in his early writings. And then he moves into a wider and deeper and really practically a somewhat uh, somewhat mystical space in his later writings. And in Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, Jung writes that only after he had familiar, familiarized himself with alchemy did he realize that the unconscious is a process and that psyche is transformed or developed by the relationship of the ego to the contents of the unconscious. So that means that alchemy served a really, really important shift in the way that Jung was approaching the psychology that he was developing. So by applying this alchemical way of handling the literalized stories of trauma, we can stick to the images surrounding the traumas and that evokes deeper insights and it revivifies the poetic basis of mind and Hillman said that sticking to the image recovers the ancient Greek maxim save the phenomena and the phenomena of alchemy presents a chaos so saving Psyche's phenomena calls for an alchemical method of chaos, a method that indulges the soul's surprising beauty and inventive freedom and speaks both of Psyche and psychology into the Psyche with imagination. So again, moving away from this literalization might be the thing that can bring us closer to that rhythmic, mythopoetic nature of soul that often gets thwarted in traumatic experience. So when an individual's attachment to their story is literalized, this, to me, metaphorically symbolizes alchemical stagnation. Hillman says that not only is this language abstract, it's imprecise because the imprecision of our equipment, our concepts for grasping the movements of the soul, we have come to believe that the soul itself is an ungraspable flux where actually the psyche presents itself always in very specific behaviors, experiences, and images. And so this process requires how I see it, the metaphorical alchemical eye of the practitioner practitioner to see the doorways within the literalisms where, where we're taking the story as literal. When the process starts stagnating alchemically, I think there's too much grasping. There's too much attempt at grasping the material rather than a careful handling of the material. And after all, Hellman asserts that alchemical language is the language of handwork, of technical grappling, alchemy, like they were working with their hands. And so that's what we need to do is learn to handle this poetic basis of mind. So 
Hillman says that then this redemptive process must also take place in our speech where the absence of matter is most severe and especially because this deprivation is so close to that which is unconscious to us even as we speak. So using alchemical language is moving from the literal story of trauma to the animated matter within the images of trauma. Like who is being traumatized? What is traumatizing that image? How is that image being affected by other specific characters in the psyche? And this, to me, is the alchemical prima materia of psychological engagement of the soul making process this is soul work so when we are are working in this like pre-metaphorical processing this implies that one hasn't even found the starting point the prima materia the substance that is desiring transformation in the psyche so metaphorical and alchemical poesis show itself when one can touch and be touched by the language that is being used. Hillman says that our speech can redeem its our speech itself can redeem matter if on one hand it deliteralizes our concepts, distinguishing between words and things, and if on the other hand it rematerializes our concepts, giving our concepts body, sense, weight. And in alchemy, although the alchemists know well, when we're doing alchemical work with language, we know we're not working with the, the actual physical, literal materials of sulfur, of salt, of lead that these alchemists literally worked with. But we can, alchemy gives us the language of the substance that, that can't be taken literally. So it's, it's, it is as if we are working with a sulfured, psyche a salt salted psyche a leaden psyche and what does that do to our process when the psyche becomes affected by these metaphors and so this poesis this making of alchemical language the spontaneous emergence of alchemical language has the ability to reconcile thought matter time person in the world and alchemical poesis reconciles this with the hands so Manuel Perez said that for hands are not only receivers, they're also transmitters, they're healers. Hands feel and they see in the ways that eyes cannot see. And so if our words are handled well, they can also serve as our catalyst for action. They become psychological because we begin to move something alchemically while that simultaneously moves us. And it moves the way that we orient ourselves in the world. And this isn't possible when our stories and the language that we use around our trauma is kept in the literal. Hillman's, this is one of my favorite Hillman quotes of all time. He says, we speak in concepts, the ego, the unconscious, libido, energy, and drive, opposites, regression, feeling function, compensations, transference, when working with these terms, we curiously forget that they're concepts only. Left hemispheric approach, by the way. Barely useful for grasping psychic events, which they inadequately describe. Moreover, we tend to neglect that these concepts burden our work because they become freighted with their own unconscious history. So when we 
do dream tending around a PTSD nightmare and we say, oh, that's our um, negative mother complex and just stop there and keep it in a concept, that's not helpful for the work. So because poesis has to do with making. So words are at the same time making and creating a reality and it's a creative process of reality. So um, Hillman says that no term means only one thing. Every alchemical phenomena is both material and psychological at the same time. Else, alchemy could not be claim, could not claim to be redemptive of both the human soul and of material nature. It's all metaphor. It's all analogy. It's all a poesis of the hand. It's a making of the hand. So emphasis here that understanding is a byproduct of the poetic basis of mind and only through this type of poetic perspective may integrated understanding enter this type of understanding i see is associated with gnosis with knowing and this knowing is the type of knowing found within the inherent rhythmic nature of psyche that i was speaking about earlier it's through our alchemical alchemical eye that the soul making process is constellated and we're doing this now via language and we recognize that cognitive understanding of the process isn't the primary goal thus the goal is alchemically navigating these divine images held within the matter that is affected by trauma so this implies that one must take this literalized piece of language put it in an alchemical vessel a container i.e. a therapeutic container, work with a therapist or a coach, and it must begin to cook it. And thus, the individual is cooked by the process, and out of that process, something arises. And Hillman does say that he doesn't mean like we're just going to talk alchemy, just this kind of like depersonalized alchemical talk. He said, first let us talk as alchemists, as if we were talking alchemically. Then we can talk alchemy, because then we will not be using them as a new set of concepts or categories. It's not the literal return to alchemy that is necessary, but a restoration of the alchemical mode of imagining. For in that mode we restore matter to our speech, and after all, that is our aim the restoration of the imaginative matter, not of literal alchemy. And that is what I'm speaking about with trauma. It's not that we're like restoring, like we're literally restoring the physiology. It's that we're restoring the way we imagine our physiology to respond to these traumatic experiences. So in conclusion, an experience of trauma is physiologically disrupting to the capacity of the rhythmic process of the nervous system but rather than halt our explorations at the literal physiology we have to imagine through to where else this this rhythmic movement is disrupted because the rhythm that same rhythmic movement that goes on forever is the movement of psyche as well and as we've discussed neurobiologically these rhythms between right and left hemispheres are disrupted and they affect the stories that 
a person can grasp onto. And this affects how an individual may speak in conceptual, depersonalized, or literal modes of language in association to the experience. But Hillman says that conceptual language is not self-evidently metaphorical. It is the trauma-informed practitioner's responsibility to see through the literalisms of language. The excessive priority of the conceptual can lead us towards the metaphorical, thus leading us to find our way back to the poetic basis of mind, the poetic basis of mind that is inclusive of all movements that naturally weave together this rhythmic movement of psyche. And so if a person is looking to concretize an experience of trauma into mere concepts or into a literal grasping of a story, I intuit that this is an indication that there's a disconnection from soul. The poetic basis of mind is disrupted. So this is where I see that the mind can stagnate into rigid opposition against the body. And this can keep an individual disconnected from the inherent poetic basis of mind that is reflective of soul. But in the soul-making process, language becomes a rhetoric, a metaphorical story of soul that bridges the mind-body split. And Hillman said that, you know, this, this polytheistic way of thinking shifts our habitual uh, desire to put things in categories and divide them and separate them. And by using alchemy as a metaphorical basis for language and navigating an experience of trauma, the psychology and the biology weave together. They're bridged together by the symbolic alchemical images spoken via metaphorical language. The movement within the alchemical vessel is the movement of the soul. It's a move away from the literal material substance and story into a metaphorical image describing the psychological material. This is my maybe my first favorite Hellman quote, maybe my second, I don't know. Um, but he said, remember, the enemy is the literal, and the literal is not the concrete flesh, but a negligence of the vision that concrete flesh is a magnificent citadel of metaphors. Oh, I love that so much. To the trauma-informed practitioner, focusing on serving individuals who are navigating traumatic experience, it is the utmost importance to acknowledge the necessity of this poetic basis of mind, this inherent rhythmic nature. An awareness of this forces the metaphors of the soul upon us. And this, this essay, this invitation is, is not a call to completely disregard concepts, the left hemispheric approach it's to deepen into the awareness of how the soul can stagnate and rigidify underneath the concepts if we leave out the larger concepts or context sorry um if we leave out the right hemispheric approach and also if we deny the the movement of soul underneath that so it's essential to be aware of how the traumatized individual can unconsciously grasp and cling to the mind story of trauma while unconsciously depreciating the body story and the purpose of engaging with alchemical language as metaphor for trauma is so that these metaphors and images can work on us 
And then we begin to live as if we are the alchemist, those who become changed by both the mind and the body in the process. And no longer is there a need to grasp at things when we've learned how to handle our experiences metaphorically, imagistically. You know, Jung said to dream the myth onward, and I feel like this amplification of metaphor and of that inherent rhythmic capacity of soul, it's so, um, it's an archetypal nature because it's seen psychically, it's seen physiologically, it's seen neurobiologically. I mean, that means something. And so we just follow the leads and we develop a way of seeing, a way of speaking, a way of engaging with things that isn't so literal and boxed in and fragmented in this kind of depersonalized representation. So with that, I hope that you guys um, were able to handle some of that material. Again, I, I really encourage you guys to join my free community and ask questions about anything maybe you didn't completely understand. As I said in this in this paper that understanding isn't priority it's what the what the language is moving in you and so focusing on different aspects where you felt things to resonate where you felt dissonance with with certain things that were being spoken about so that's really my intention here is to evoke some some movement in in you guys out there who are listening. If you guys are looking for a psycho-spiritual approach to trauma, my fiance Rick and I have started, well, we've decided on our next book for our book club starting April 24th, and it's Trauma in the Soul by Donald Cowshed, and it's an amazing book talking about the where the psychology and spiritual soul realm intersect when we're working with and through trauma so if you're interested in joining that book club all of our book clubs are donation-based offerings and so you get to choose the price and so you can find all of the details for that in the show notes so with that being said i will talk to you guys on sunday have a great weekend guys bye